0: Well, welcome, everybody. Good to see you guys this weekend, and welcome, everybody, watching online. And uh, thanks for joining us and being together as a church family this weekend. It's good to be with you guys. I've been uh, running around the last few weeks. Uh, Grace Church is a movement, and I love that. And so we have campuses all over the place. We have nine different campuses. We have six here in Ohio, uh, two in Georgia, and one in South Carolina. So I was running around to our Ohio campuses and uh, checking in on those guys and hanging out with folks a little bit. And I tell you, it, it's fun. It's fun to see what God is doing through grace. Uh, it's fun to see the investments that we've made uh, paying off. It's fun to see new campuses get kind of their legs. By the way, Pastor Ryan says hi, and he misses you, and Lori does. And so it's fun to see what God is doing out there at Akron East. And uh, here uh, this next week, I'm going to go down uh, during the week, the next couple days, and see our Georgia campuses, our South Carolina campus. And, and it's just exciting. It's exciting to see how God uses us as a church. Uh, Grace is a movement. It's not just a local church, but it's fun to see that movement in action. And uh, so thanks for loaning me out a little bit, and uh, let me run around and check all that out. And it's fun to see what God is doing here at the Bath Campus also, uh, you saw that the announcement we 've been talking about these uh, services that we're adding we're doing a couple things we 're going to add child care and children 's programming power kids to the four thirty Saturday service. so uh, especially you guys watch it online uh, if you 've been kind of hung up with not being able to RSVP your kids and get space for them. Uh, that's why we're doing that. So that 430 service, will have full-blown children's ministry there. That's also the service that we're kind of extra diligent about masks and stuff on. So if you're kind of um, poking your head out from COVID a little bit and want to try to get back in the groove, that's a great place, kind of a first step for you uh, to do that. And then we're also adding a service on Sunday, 1145 Sunday at the Montrose Building, and that will have full children's ministry as well. And so we're really opening up a bunch of space for kids and uh, encourage you to be a part of it as we kind of get back in the groove and prayerfully COVID continues to kind of lift and get better here. In Northeast Ohio, uh, we want to be sure that as folks are coming back into Grace, we're still able to distance and and uh, wear masks in and out and things like that, but we want to create that space so that we can still do that. So I we'll have two services on Saturday, 4.30, 6.30, four services on Sunday, two at Gent Road, two at the Monstros Building, and then of course, if you're not ready yet to get back in person, everything will stay kind of as it is with all of our online ministry, so broadcasting services, program for kids, and all the rest. But hopefully, we're moving the right direction. And as spring comes in, and as uh, rates go down, as they've been doing uh, prayerfully, we're able to kind of stay on that trajectory in our state, and we can continue to kind of get back into the groove and see each other again. So lots going on, lots of exciting stuff, and it's a fun time to be a part of things here at Grace. We are starting a new series this weekend that I am super excited about uh, called Wasting Your Life to Save the World. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to talk about Jesus's approach to life. And then we're going to talk about how that, his approach to life is to show up in his followers' approach to life, right? So if, if you are a Christian or if you're thinking about becoming one, uh, to be a Christian actually has nothing to do with politics, it has nothing to do with with a, a subculture, it has nothing to do with culture at all, really. Being a Christian at its core in the Bible is being a follower of Jesus Christ. People were called Christians because that meant little Christ or ones who were like Christ or mimickers of Christ. So to be a Christian or decide to be a Christ follower is to look and say, What I want to do is I want my life to mimic Jesus's life. So I want to think like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus, be motivated like Jesus, speak like Jesus. And I want that to be the reflection of my life so that when people view my life, what they see is Christ in me. The Apostle Paul, later on in the New Testament, he says what we are are ambassadors of Jesus Christ as if he himself were making his appeal through us. So when the when someone who is not a Christ follower interacts with someone who is a Christ follower, the idea is that they would feel like or experience the idea that they're interacting with Jesus himself. And we do that individually as Christ followers and then we do that corporately as a church. When you interact with the church, It's to be as if you're interacting with the heart, the mind, the intention, the motivation of Jesus himself. And so looking at that and saying, well, then how did he approach life? And what was his mindset? And then his mindset, his heart, his mind playing out and becoming our heart and our mind and our motive and our method, so to say, what would that look like and how would that play out for all of us? All right. So. Uh, To kind of jump into this, what I want to do is take a quick survey, all right? Quick survey. If you're watching online, you can raise your hand to your television set or your iPhone, and I will see it because these cameras run both ways. And so if you're looking there online, just to play along with me, but here we go. If you feel like the world right now is in a great place and things are going awesome and we should leave everything exactly the same as it is, raise your hand right now if that's you, all right? All right, okay, I'm all by myself, right? If you would look at the world around us and say, I'm a little nervous, I don't think I understand it, I don't like it, I'm not sure that things are super healthy, and the world should change. If that's your opinion, raise your hand right now. All right. And by the way, thank you for signing up for the financial campaign. <laughs> that, right? So, right, so we, w- we would all do that, right? We would all look at the world around us and say, I don't think I like what's going on. I don't think I like what's going on. Globally, I don't think I like what's going on in my country. And then if I ask you that, if I said right now, your family is perfect and there's absolutely nothing you should change, raise your hand. Or if you said, my family has the strengths and weaknesses and there's some things I'm concerned about, raise your hand right now, right? If you looked at your friendship and said, I wish I could be a better friend or help my friends that are going through difficult times. I would like to impact their life. Raise your hand if that's you, right? I'd like to be a better roommate. I'd like to see something better for people. I see the oppression, I see injustice, I see people's struggles and frustrations, and I am a, like a good-hearted person, right? Uh, I see people and what they go through and I would be willing to jump in and I would be willing to help make a change, right? Most good-hearted people think that way. They think, yeah, of course things aren't great like on like global scales, but in my family with my friends and my work, in my roommate, and I would love to be a part of the solution and I would love to help them out. So if I said, "Hey, are you a person who would like to change the world? Let's change the world. Would you sign up for that? Like a lot of us would sign up for that. Like I want to change the world. and I want to see it be a different place. And I would say to you, that's awesome. And I think that's good. And that's a part of being a good-hearted person. And that is also fairly common throughout the history of humanity. If, you could, if we could rewind the, the clock and I could, we could go back 100 years and I could say, I could ask all those same questions, who thinks the world should change, uh, everybody would raise their hand. If we could re the clock again and I said, who thinks the world should change, and they would raise their hand again. If I could rewind it again and I'd say, who thinketh the world should change, they would raise their hands again. Because it's the human experience, right? So we, we know that things are never lined up quite right. We know that at a minimum, there's always room for improvement, and at a maximum, almost at every point in human history since the beginning, there's been some level of like a global crisis that people have been caught up in. And so it's very, very common that people would say, we want to change the world, I want to change the world, we should band together and change the world, right? Now, the question is, what does that mean, and how do you do it, right? What does that mean, and how do you do it? What do you mean we should change the world, or I want to change the world? Historically, when you just kind of look back, historically, what that means, and usually what people are talking about is they're saying that we should probably affect politics and affect culture and affect power and shift those things around. So we don't like the way that something's going, we should make a political shift. Uh, We don't like the way that a culture's going, the culture's negative, we should enlighten the culture or push back on the culture. Or we don't like power structures. The king has too much power. The power should come from the people. The people have too much power. The power should go to the government. And historically, when you talk about changing the world, you're talking about it within those paradigms. And we're saying to each other, I will participate in that paradigm. Or we, whoever the we is, should corporately affect that paradigm. We should take resources and we should take influence and we should achieve power. And we should take that power then and we should change the structures around us and organize the world in a proper way right? If I was in charge, what I would do, or we'll say it this way today, you know what their problem is? They should do this. We don't really know who they is or what they should do, but we'll kind of talk that way. If I had power and I had resources and I was Bill Gates or I was Elon Musk, what I would do is I would shift. I would change the structure and I would order the world in a certain way. And people who have good motives tend to think that way, and people who have bad motives need to think that way. And we should order the world properly. The the Achilles heel of that mindset is the who. So who's in charge, and who defines how the world should be ordered, right? And if the who is us, then we feel great about our plan. But if the who is them... And the change is coming at us, we don't feel good about that plan at all. And so what happens is, because that's the mindset, history then becomes cyclical. It, it literally repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself. Kingdoms rise, they, come, they become corrupt, the people revolt, kingdoms fall. And then it repeats itself. We'll do this in our own marriages, our own relationships, This is why you fight about the same thing all the time, because you're fighting about who has power and who the who is, who gets to decide what the proper structure is. This is why that parents that have teenagers always talk about teenagers, because teenagers- will kind of function the same way. It's a bit predictable. Teenagers will talk about their parents, and they'll be like, my parents don't know what's going on. And the reason that your parents don't know what's going on is because your parents do not know what's going on, right? Because they're rookie parents, just like you're a rookie kid, and everybody's fighting for power and everybody wants to be the who, and everybody wants to decide how the world would function, and if it would function the way that I think it would function, then it would function properly. That's only from your perspective, though. And so, one party gets elected, and they make a bunch of changes, and they go out of power and the next party comes in and cancels all those changes and they make a bunch of changes and then they go out of power then the next party comes in and they cancel their changes and they put in their changes and it's just cyclical it goes through again and again and again and again and you can trace history actually if you want to if you really want to be a nerd about it you can trace it backwards in about 20 year segments and you can trace it all the way back and you'll be like there's the pattern it's that again and again and again and again, and it's usually rooted in a group of people or an individual who said, I want to change the world. Right? And they do the same things and have the same plans and have the same outcomes again and again and again. Now, there's one exception to this historically. One exception. And the one exception to this historically is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most influential person in the history of the world. Even if you don't believe he's God, you cannot argue that point. Nobody argues that point. Jesus has had more influence on the world than anybody else in the history of the world. More books have been written about him, more philosophies have been written about him, more words have been said about him, cathedrals have been built in his names, governments have risen and fallen because of him, people follow him, billions and billions and billions of people over time. Jesus Christ is the most influential person in the history of the world and he never held an office, he never owned anything, He never possessed a media outlet. He never raised an army. He turned away crowds who were trying to follow him. He would not accept the ascension to power. They were trying to make him king, and he rejected it. And he would not embrace any cultural influence that was laid at his feet. Jesus is the most influential person in the history of the world and yet he affected the world by rejecting every tenant of every leader who ever set out to affect the world. He did the exact opposite of what everybody else did who said, I want to change the world. And by doing something differently, he wound up being the person who has changed the world the most. Look at what Philippians says about him. Jesus, that's the who. Jesus, being a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus is God. He is God. In other words, he had all access to all power, right? You ever said that? Man, if I was in charge, what I would do is... Right, I do that all the time. If what I was in charge, what I would do is, I would make the Ohio State Michigan game a national holiday, and I would cancel Michigan. You know, although it's it's basically irrelevant. But but right, so I would look and I would be like, I would do this if I was if I was in charge. What I would do if I was the king? Well, Jesus is, but he did not consider that something to be used to his own advantage. He has the power. He could make us do whatever he wanted us to do. He could make us think whatever he wanted us to think, but he doesn't do any of that. But he has what all of us would think we would need to change the world. Being very nature God, he got something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by become, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. There's not a leadership class or a political science class on planet Earth that would look at you and say, if you want to change the world, what you should do is not use your power, not use your influence, make yourself a servant, make yourself nothing, and become obedient to somebody else. You will never, ever read that book. But the most influential man... And the history of humanity did that. Now, why? Why did he do that? What was he thinking, right? Ready? The reason he did that, ready, is because Jesus' motive was not to change the world. Jesus' motivation was to save the world. And those two things are very, very different goals. Changing the world is leveraging yourself to make the world what you want it to be, right? When I say, I want to change the world, I want to change the world. By making that statement, what I'm saying is I'm going to involve myself myself. I have an outcome. Even if that outcome is a positive outcome or a well-motivated outcome, I want the world to be structured this way. And I believe that so deeply that I'm going to, leverage myself, my resources, my money, my life. I'm going to leverage myself to get that outcome. If you have a nefarious motive, then you would say, I would leverage that myself to get that outcome for very, very selfish reasons. Changing the world is rooted in this idea of leveraging yourself so the world becomes what you want it to be. Saving the world is very different. Saving the world. Is sacrificing yourself to give the world what it needs. Jesus didn't come to change the world, He came to save the world. I see what the world needs, I see what they don't have, I see the desperate place that they are spiritually, and I will sacrifice myself in order to meet that need for the world that I love. And that was Jesus's strategy. Look at what he says here, John 10. Jesus, these are his words. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, not only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, This command I received from my father. Jesus looks and says, my father is happy with me because I lay down my life. See, that is the exact opposite of what we think. You ever seen a father on the sideline of a soccer game and his son is starting varsity and the son runs over to the coach, says, coach, take me out. So that the kid who never gets to play gets to play, and I'll ride the bench. You ever see a father be like, "That's my boy," on the bench? See? But Jesus says, "My father is proud of me because I sacrificed myself. I lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. Why?" Because Jesus is God. You can't kill God. You can't murder God. Jesus wasn't murdered. You can't take God's life. He's the creator of life and the sustainer of life. You can't do that to him, but God can offer his life of his own accord. He can lay his life down It couldn't be snatched from him. And this is the part of Jesus that every, whether you believe he's God or not, everybody respects this part of Jesus. When you look what Jesus did in offering his life, nobody argues that his motives were mixed on that. Maybe you don't think he's God, but everybody would look and say, well, he thought he was God. Maybe you don't think that he's the only path of salvation, but nobody would argue that he thought he was the path of salvation. And when you look at Jesus laying his life down, when you look at this sham of a trial in which he did not defend himself, he allowed it to play out. When you look at his suffering, when you look at people mocking him, spitting on him, pulling his beard out, shoving the crowns of thorn on his head, when you see him on the cross, and he's on the cross, and he's not cursing, and he's not screaming, and he's not pleading his innocence, the main thing he says on the cross is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Nobody looks at that part of Jesus, whether you think he's God or not, and wonders about his motivation for doing that. See? The surrendering of his life is the power of his message. It's inarguable. We, we're moved not because Jesus suffered. People suffer all the time. We're moved because he chose to suffer. He chose to embrace that. God, who you can't kill, humbled himself, made himself nothing, obeyed his father, We are drawn to him, not because he was mocked. Lots of people get mocked. We all get mocked. We're drawn to him because he chose to love those who mocked him. Because you mock me, I'll mock you back. And let's be honest, I'm probably better at it than you are. But Jesus didn't. He forgave the very people who might Come down off that cross if you're king of the Jews. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We begin to grasp his love, not because he lost his life. We grasp his love because he gave it. And nobody argues with this. This is the part of Jesus that cannot be contradicted or discounted And this is the part of Jesus that his followers are called from. I gave my life. You want to be little Christ, like Christ. What am I calling you to? Not power, not money, not influence. I'm calling you to lay down your life As I laid down mine, Ephesians 5, imitate God. Who's God? Jesus. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, A pleasing aroma to God. So I'm going to imitate God. God seen through me, Christ seen through me, little Christ. I'm a mirror of Jesus. I'm acting like, thinking like, loving like, being motivated like Christ. So when you see me and you interact with me, and then as the church, as you see us and you interact with us, it's as if you're interacting with God Himself. So imitate Him. What do you mean? Follow Jesus' example. What was his example? He offered his life as a sacrifice. He humbled himself. He became nothing. He became obedient. Laying his life down, because you can't kill God. But he can offer his life through his own power. If you're a Christ follower... You believe that when Jesus offered his life on the cross, that he did that because he loved you, because you owe a debt that you can't pay, so he had to pay a debt that he didn't owe. You believe that he was the only one that could take your place on the cross. So he didn't just lay his life down for like the world, he laid his life down for Jeff, And the only path of salvation, the only forgiveness of my sin, the only power for life and godliness comes through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and it was offered for me. And Jesus' offer of his life for me then as a Christ follower compels me Motivates me, the apostle Paul uses the word obligates me to offer my life as a sacrifice in humility, in nothingness, as a servant, in the same manner or for the same purpose that Christ offered his life to me. First John. Chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we, his followers, who understand the power of his laying down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. It's fascinating. No one, no one ever questions the motive of a person who lays their life down. Isn't that interesting? We question the motive of the rich, like what are they up to, right? We question the motives of the powerful, they're trying to use us. We question the motives of the, of the famous, right? they're just trying to get on TV or be an influence on the internet. We question their motives when they want power when they want fame, when they want structure, when they want to change the world. We don't trust that. But nobody questions the motive of somebody who offers their life. You don't question the motive of a fireman who runs into a burning building to save a child. You don't question the motive of a a policeman who would wrap their body around an innocent person in order to save them. We, we don't question the motive of, of a stranger that jumps in the water to save someone who's drowning. We don't question the motive of, of an anonymous blood donor. We don't question the motive of a foster parent. We don't question the motive of an aid worker. We don't question the motive of someone who, who's a faceless donor to famine relief. We don't question the motive of people who lay their life down. Who lay their resources down, who lay their influence down. We don't question the motive of people who are like Christ. Nobody really questions the motives of Jesus when he gave his life. They might question his sanity, they might question his deity. Nobody thinks he was up to something else, because he laid down his life as a ransom for many. Now, it's funny, when you read the Bible and you kind of, you know, get your head around Jesus is the whole of his life a little bit, what you'll find is all kinds of people around him, these were like his supporters and his backers, all these people around him who were like, you're doing this wrong. You're totally doing this wrong. Jesus Jesus, what you need to do, you want to change the world? Jesus is like, mm, no, it's going to save it. Well, we want to change it. And we want to use you to achieve our outcomes. So Jesus, you're God. So if you could move some God stuff around, turn somebody into a frog or like do something God-ish, then, then we could do it. Jesus, you know, you being God, I mean, Jesus, this whole fish thing, I'm telling you, if we turn that into a stimulus package, I bet mean, we could get all kinds of oats, Right? Jesus, we should take over the government. Jesus, we should take up arms. See? Jesus, you, if you would just, just a little bit of God stuff, like you read people's minds and like walk through doors, if you could just like do that a little bit. And they were trying to get Jesus to be a world changer. Get resources, Jesus. Get power, Jesus. Get influence, Jesus and set structures up the way that you want them set up, and then make everybody fit in those structures. And Jesus, in essence, looked at them and said, nah, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to change the world. I'm here to save it. And the way to save the world is to lay my life down. And those very people looked at him and said, what a waste, what a waste. We've been looking for the Messiah to come in here and kick tail for thousands of years, and this is what we get? The Lamb of God. What a waste. You're wasting your influence. You're wasting your opportunity. You're wasting the power you could have. You're wasting... And Jesus looked, and Nestor said, "Well, I see it as investing, ransoming, spending, giving, sacrificing. So if you want to call it a waste, then I guess I'll just waste my life to save the world." When I was in high school. 35 years ago, I was a freshman in high school. I know I don't look it, because I've held up well, and my family is generally attractive. But, but 35 years ago, I was a freshman in high school, and I was, a, I was a cocky high school kid. I know that shocks all of you, but I was, a, I was a, just a cocky high school kid, mouthy, you know, and like a popular kid, and those kind of things. And so I remember being in high school. And I had a biology class. And in biology class, uh, we had a first, I think it was his first year biology teacher. His name was Bill Norvell, Mr. Norvell. And uh, he came into our class. I had the privilege of going to a a religious high school, a Christian high school. And so uh, he was, I think he was my first period teacher. It's been a long time. 35 years ago is a long time. And so I think that's what it was. And anyways, on this particular day, he gave a devotional. And uh, before class, he gave it a devotional, and he talked about, like, how do you, how are you going to impact the world for Christ? So he gave, like, this devotional, right? And when he gave this devotional, uh, what he did was he started talking about what that was, what that was all going to look like. And so we're out doing our biology stuff. We were dissecting frogs, and we're now, the class is, like, dissecting a frog. I'm trying to get, like, I don't know, the esophagus out of this frog or whatever I'm trying to do. And Mr. Norvell is just coming around, talking to us and teaching all of us, and just kind of hanging out a little bit, and so he walked up to my table and he said, uh, "He said Jeff, he goes, uh, you know, that that's the leg, not the esophagus." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> I didn't do super well in that class, but but I'm looking at that." And he said, uh, "He goes, what would you think about our devotional?" And I said, "Oh, I don't, know. I don't know." He goes, "Jeff, he goes, if you're going to impact the world, what would you do?" And I said, "You know what I would do?" I said, "I would make Jesus popular." You know what Jesus needs? He needs some music. He needs some t-shirts. He needs a coffee mug, maybe a billboard. Like, that's what Jesus needs. And I I would, like, market Jesus, and I would make him popular. And I said, I think if I could could be a cool Christian, it would draw lots and lots of people to Christ. And Mr. Norvell, I'll never forget this. He looked at me. He said, uh, he goes, wow. He goes, that's great. He goes, what would you think about, like, being a servant and being kind to people and just loving those who are unlovable? Have you ever thought about that? I I didn't. You know, I just kind of blew it off, tried to get my esophagus out of my frog. I don't even know if they have esophaguses, but I remember going to lunch that day, and I remember sitting down with my friends, and I was like, you know what Mr. Norvell asked me? I told him, I said, you know what he said? I told him, and I looked at at my friends, and I said, isn't that the stupidest thing you ever heard in your life? What a stupid thing. I think a guy with a master's degree would be Smarter than that. Just a cocky, arrogant, immature kid. I thought that was so dumb. But that, that conversation, I don't even remember anything about biology. But I remember that conversation. Right. And that conversation has affected my life that conversation God has used in my life, that conversation here at Grace Church comes out in this phrase, if servanthood's beneath you, leadership's above you. And it's rooted back. It's rooted back to a guy who got a master's degree. I'm pretty sure if you have a master's degree, you could get a better job than science teacher at a Christian high school. But he decided to lay his life down and invest in cocky kids. I'm sure he knew I was making fun of him. I don't think he's naive. But he decided to lay his life down and endure a little bit of mockery. I'm sure there's lots of things that he could have done. But what he did instead was prepare devotion Share truth, invest in a teenager, and point me toward the heart and the mind of God. And in that moment, in a small and almost in an immeasurable way, He wasted His life to save the world. Just got over Himself and gave himself to somebody else. 35 years later, his moment of sacrifice still affects my life. See how that works? Guys, our world is desperate for an alternative. Desperate. Who's in charge? Who's got power? Who made the money? Whose opinion? Desperate for an alternative. And the people of God who have resources, who have money, sometimes we have power, and we all have personal megaphones called social media media. we're tempted to jump into this circular struggle that is so loud and so vicious that nobody even listens to anybody, but everybody demands to be heard. And lots of people who are more important and bigger than you and me have won that game. They became the person of power and they became the person of wealth and they became the person that made the rules. And millions of them have come and gone over time. Do you know who the most powerful person and wealthiest person in 1147 AD was? Me either. You ever heard of Jesus Christ? and he had none of it, and he didn't want it. He wasn't trying to change the world. He's trying to save it. And he calls to his followers to imitate him, right? to waste our lives, to save the world. Right? Jesus, would you help us with this? Jesus, would you press into the areas of our lives that are not marked by humility, that are not marked by selflessness, by nothingness, areas of our lives in which we would cling to what is ours. Would you press in, God, and draw us to you, to be like you, Christ-like, little Christ, to do it differently, with a different motive, with a different method, with a different strategy. God, would you press into us individually? Would you press into us corporately as a church? Would you draw us to be more and more like you. God, allow us, help us, empower us to be the alternative that our world, that our families, that our friends desperately need.